You're listening to the Therapy for Women podcast with licensed therapists Amanda White, Fern Formel, and Gabby Salamone. Whether you're contemplating therapy for the first time, already in therapy, or reconsidering it, this podcast will empower you with tips, advice, and plenty of real talk so you can get the most out of your sessions. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Therapy for Women podcast. We have myself, Gabby Salamone, here this week, and Fern Formel and our special guest, Becca, who's one of our therapists here at Therapy for Women and our brand new practice, Therapy for Kids. Hey guys. Welcome, Becca. How you doing today? What's going on, everyone? Good. Just surviving the Friday, wrapping up the week. Excited to talk about some kiddos today. We are talking to Becca today about said kiddos but within the context of anxiety and how to support, you know, kids who are experiencing certain behaviors, certain feelings, emotions. And we've had Becca on the podcast before to talk about kids, but that was within the context of children and social media. So today will be children and anxiety. Which is Becca and I's probably favorite topic, right, Becca? We love some anxiety. We love OCD. We love working with friends that are struggling with those emotions and those behaviors. What would you say is the difference or how could you identify when a child is experiencing typical developmental behaviors versus like anxiety? I think before we talk about the different age groups, it's important that we first remember that with anxiety, anxiety is the only childhood emotion, even adult emotion, that's both an emotion and also a disorder right? So like depression necessarily isn't an emotion word, but it is the disorder. Really sad would be the emotion, depression's the disorder. But anxiety can be both. There can be normal levels of anxiety, and then there can also be disordered anxiety. So I think the best way to think about it across age ranges is just the different things that like would make sense for your child with like apprehension versus like staunch, like I'm not doing that. So it makes sense that like, you know, for an elementary schooler, for, for their first sleepover, they might be kind of worried and nervous about it. But there's a difference between the kid who's worried and nervous and goes and the kid who just like cannot physically get to that sleepover. You might see that too with like middle schoolers with different social interactions. If they're like really, really worried about like talking to new people and they just will avoid it all entirely versus the kid that's like a little nervous but is like willing to kind of make that jump. And then with, you know, high schoolers and above, like adolescents, anxiety is going to kind of present more in the typical same ways as like adulthood, where really, really worrying about things and things that are really out of their control, but they're still kind of trying to like get it all together. I guess, you know, a good example would be like a kid who's taking all of these classes and is like really worried about getting the work done, but gets it done versus the kid who like makes seven different lists about their homework and then has like, you know, their calendar, and then they're just like freaking out before they even start the homework. Just like the level of emotion is a good way to kind of indicate whether or not we're looking at normal childhood anxiety or generalized anxiety disorder. That makes sense. I know, Becca, that within, I know you've worked with younger kids. I know that's not your main population. I know you tend to work with middle school and up. What would you say to a parent who maybe has like a six or seven year old? And I like, obviously, you mentioned like a sleepover. I don't know why this probably because the holidays are coming up. And so I am I am thinking about uh, my nephew who used to be terrified of those blow up, 
you know those like blow up decorations that people have in their yards of like Santa. Yeah, it's mine's a buddy the yeah, elf. Yeah, buddy the elf or like pumpkins or things like that. At his old daycare, they used to have one outside during Halloween time and he was terrified of that thing. So how can you tell, right, is the difference that like the kid who actually gets into the building past the <laughs> past the blow up decoration versus the kid who like refuses to go in if they have to pass the decoration? Like where is the line there for like the younger ones, do you think? Sure. I mean, obviously, things like that are going to be terrifying to a little kid. Those things are huge. And they're also kind of terrifying to me as an adult. But so again, it's like the level of like, what is normal versus what is not like if a kid is really worried about like something's gonna happen because of that giant blow up thing versus like it just frightens them, right? It makes sense that it might frighten them. So it's the kid who's like, that scares me versus a kid who's like, that thing's going to hurt me could be a really easier indicator of anxiety. I think it's also like a big thing is like, how do parents or caregivers, right, approach it with the child and focusing on like the curiosity part of it, right? Let's explore it. Let's take a look at it. Like, let's, you know, if you can get it deflated and have them watch it blow up, like show them the parts to it, that helps some of the anxiety around like the mechanics of things. Like kids don't always understand when they see them just like there. Yes. I think when we first used to start to talk about anxiety and parents' involvement, we really talked about it in the way of like, you know, normalize for your kid. Like, like it's okay. And like, if they don't want to do something, don't force them. And then that kind of got co-opted into this idea of like, oh, if you force them, it's going to traumatize them. It won't. A real thing to do in these situations, and we'll talk more about in this episode, is you kind of have to force the kid to face their fear and anxiety in obviously a supported and it like gradual exposure way as the best way to kind of support your kids with these emotions. One of the things that's coming up for me is so I was I'm tall, I'm five foot ten, so I was a tall child. And I remember we were at like six flags or something and I was like young, like five. And I'm, I was tall enough, though, to ride one of the big roller coasters. And we waited in the whole line. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do it. And I waited in the whole line. And then we got up there. And after hearing everybody talk and, like, all this chatter around me, I was like, now nah, I'm good. And my dad, he didn't throw a fit about it. He didn't force me on it. He said, all right, you don't want to ride this time? You stand right here. I'll be back. I do remember this feeling of feeling disappointed that I didn't do it. So that I was like, I want to do it. And he's like, if we get back in that line, though, and we go all the way through, you're going to ride. And I was like, I'm going to ride. And I did. But it's about patience, right? Like that story there is like, you can psych yourself out. Kids do it all the time. But if you're patient with the child and you're not shaming them or bullying them into do it, it helps. Yeah. Let's think about it in steps. Let's go with step one which is normalizing all of this. I think the number one thing that we have to like start with is normalizing to kids that their emotions are okay and valid. I think I hear a lot ironically from like my even 20 somethings who have anxiety of like, oh my God, I'm totally going to screw up my kid. Like I don't want to screw up my kid because I have anxiety. First and foremost, everyone screws up their kids in some way. Doesn't matter if you're the best parent in the entire world. But the way that you, the only way that you can really quote unquote screw up, is again, not a thing, is by putting your anxiety on that kid, right? Like if your kid's like really freaking out, you can't also freak out in those situations because it's going to show them that like 
this is the right response and also like freaking out you know yeah these are terrifying emotions we should be scared of them so normalizing that like it's okay to feel anxious it makes sense for you to feel anxious like this is something that is scary and it's okay to have these feelings and maybe even talking about it based on like age range right if they're elementary school like where do you feel that in your body what does that feel like okay and talking about it in that way and then you know you can relate middle schoolers and high schoolers you can really talk to them like your peers they're not developmentally that far off but talking to them in a way of like this is how you feel like this is what you're feeling right now and that's okay that is like the number one first step just saying that it's okay right validating yeah explaining maybe too that like this is anxiety this is like what a feeling is like you know I have it too this is what it looks like for me and being open with your kid in that clear kind of communication I think, you know, obviously we want to protect our kids and like keep them from things they're scared about. But we have to remember, too, that with anxiety, our fight or flight's going to be triggered for things that we don't necessarily need to be worried about. Right. Like we're going to feel like it's the end of the world. But the more that we avoid it and the more that our caregivers allow us to avoid those things, the more anxiety inducing they're going to become. So if child Gabby never went on that Six Flags roller coaster, she's never going to go on it now as an adult. So how does, to your point earlier, and obviously right now, how does a parent gently challenge and push their child without, you know, it resulting in a child getting older and being like, my parents never, like, let me feel my feelings or never, like, let me quit soccer. (laughs) Or, you know, there's a million examples. But how do you do that with respecting your child's anxiety? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think that becomes more of like making sure that you have open conversation with your kiddos and like maintaining that, right? Like if your kid comes to you and they want to quit soccer because they don't like soccer, that's different than they don't feel comfortable at soccer. So really helping them delineate between the difference. Like, do you genuinely not enjoy playing soccer? Is it not fun to you? Or does it make you really nervous to be around your teammates? Does playing on a field like make you uncomfortable is this something you want us to work together to make you feel more safe more comfortable and if your kid's like I don't like soccer okay then they don't like soccer we're not going to force them to do soccer Mm -hmm. but if it's more of like a oh like new people maybe it's a new soccer team you know parents don't stay at the practice and it's just like feels really alone and all of that then that can be kind of more of a conversation and that way could be something that we could then kind of lean towards gradual exposure the other thing I will say though as we continue to talk about this is these are all really great helpful tips and tricks but you should also have your child in therapy (laughs) like it is not gonna work one without the other like if we are dealing with severe childhood emotions to this level of anxiety we want them to be in therapy so that they can get the support to figure out these things for themselves and have somebody who knows how to ask the right questions versus then becoming the parent who's like constantly interrogating that's a good point Yeah. And at Therapy for Kids, we're definitely going to also offer parent coaching, which is going to be the same idea, right? Like it's not teaching you how to be a parent, but it's teaching you how to help support these kids in emotions that might either not be familiar to you or might be so familiar to you that it's like a little bit hard to kind of delineate between how would I go about this? How should my kid go about this? And also like, oh my God, I've been there. That's horrifying. Yeah. No, no. I mean, I think that's important, that parent coaching piece of it, right? Is because therapy is such a great space and and can provide so much support and help, coping strategies, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, you're still the parent 
you still have to implement these things at home. So it can be really, really helpful to be able to get that guidance from your therapist of how to approach this. Because as every parent knows, there's no like manual of how to be a parent or, you know, how to help your kids through some things. So I think the parent coaching is a, is a great tactic. Now, I guess for you, Becca, thinking about anxiety and children and exposures and whatnot, like what would be some coping strategies that you would maybe suggest to some parents or to, to kids, right, depending on the age of how to manage their anxiety? I know that's kind of a broad question, but who would that what you will? I think it's a great start, though, too, before we even talk about exposures is talking about those different things that kids can do to kind of help and support themselves. For elementary school, preschool age, like the littler ones, Headspace, which is an app also for all humans, has a Sesame Street collection that they did, and it is so good. They have one with Elmo for, like, bedtime and, like, Cookie Monster for, like, all these, uh, like, patients and all of that that are really great. And honestly... I'm a huge fan of meditation, not because I think your kid needs to be sitting crisscross applesauce in the living room on a cushion for five minutes, but because it teaches them that regulatory breathing that's really important with anxiety. So yeah, starting to just teach coping in that way. It's all the same like foundational stuff of like, you need to take a break and take a second and take a breath. And then on top of that, like adding on whatever the kid needs for their sort of regulatory self-care. Honestly, for teenagers and middle schoolers, I love them having a playlist. I'm like, okay, let's make a playlist together on your Spotify or whatever oh, you use I love that. of what your like songs are when you're feeling certain kind of strong emotions. You can have an anxiety one, a sad one, et cetera, and allowing them to have that as their like time and space to feel better and regulate. Fidget toys are great. Doesn't matter the age. I also really like, you know, coloring or other things that are sort of like an intentional practice that take your mind off of whatever is kind of going on for you and can distract you, quite honestly. We don't want to always use distraction in terms of anxiety, but it's okay to have distractions that help ease the anxiety, but not completely forget about it, right? Like we want it to be an intentional practice of I am anxious, that's okay, and now I'm going to do things to make myself feel less anxious. As opposed to like, oh, my kid's anxious, I'm going to give them their iPad. We want it to still be that intentional space of like, okay, this is your time to wind down from feeling anxious. This is your time to wind down from feeling these emotions and being more intentional about it. The realization that like it's about tolerating emotions, not making them go away completely, and that we're always going to have emotions, even if we don't like them. It's just, what do we do with it? Yeah, and I think that's, you know, even an issue for parents of like, we don't want to deal with hard emotions mm-hmm. sometimes. I think the other thing too is it can get really hard for caregivers to see kids struggle in these like strong emotions and really want to take it away from them. And obviously that's like so valid and fully understand, but you can't, you can be there and support them in those strong childhood emotions, but you can't take it away from them. And unfortunately trying to take it away from them just teaches them that they should shut down completely, right? Like, oh no, don't be sad. is so different from it's okay to be sad because while they feel like they're the same thing, right? Like you want to take that pain away from them. It doesn't teach them to regulate on their own. You know, a lot of times when, I've worked with parents and children. It's parents struggle with the emotion that their child is displaying themselves. And so they see their child feeling sad or anxious. And then the parent gets upset and is like, I don't like feeling that way. So I need to take that away from my child. I need to make it go away. I need to make it stop. And then it gets into a cycle of 
either a like the kid feels like they can't have that emotion and it's bad to have that emotion or b like they don't know how to deal with that emotion when it does come up yeah you notice that becca yourself in the work that you've done absolutely and i see it in clients who are like in their 20s honestly who like had you know well-meaning parents but that was still the idea of like don't cry you know like oh just get up and you know dust it off like valid but also acknowledge that it hurt yeah mm-hmm. acknowledge that it's hurt and acknowledge that it's uncomfortable acknowledge that it was hard acknowledge that like you don't necessarily know what they're going through but you can understand that they're sad yeah mm-hmm. i think a great example to bring it back to like the very beginning to kind of explain it is the idea of like if a kid falls and scrapes their knee or just falls like you know a toddler's like doing their cute little penguin walk and they fall and the parent who gasps and is like oh, what's gonna mm-hmm. happen that kid's going to start crying, right? But if the parent's just like, oh, it's okay, most likely that child won't cry. Yeah. Just conditioning. It's behavioral conditioning from the very beginning, and it lasts all through childhood of, like, we learn how to regulate emotions based on how our caregivers do and Mm -hmm. based on the supportive people around us who kind of talk to us about emotions. Mm -hmm. And so we have to kind of allow ourselves to be the example that we want to be for our kids. Good old modeling. Yeah. It's making me think, and this isn't necessarily related exactly to anxiety, but I was, I'm sure it was like an Instagram reel or something that I was watching recently about a parent who, you know, when their child, like you said, scrapes their knee or something and child starts to get upset. Parent says like, did that hurt or did it surprise you? Or like, did it hurt or did it scare you? Mm -hmm. Before they automatically assume like, oh, let me kiss your boo-boo or this or that. And I guess I'm curious what you think about that, Becca. Again, it's not directly related to anxiety necessarily, but it is like the approach of rather just saying like, you're fine, you're okay. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's a great example in allowing kids to have more of that language, really. Like, just kind of allowing them to kind of question and understand their feelings for themselves. It's always hard for me, right? Because, like, I like this stuff, but then I feel like it's, like, co-opted therapy language that people don't necessarily know how to use. Yeah. But I think it's always, like, helpful, honestly, to just start with, like, how did that make you feel? And it asking it in an age-appropriate way, right? So if they're a little kid, did that surprise you? Did that hurt you? Giving choices and, like, very simplified choices would be helpful. But I think to a certain degree, like, allowing that kid to explore once they're a middle schooler, like, a bunch of different feelings and emotions and trying to figure that out is going to be, like, super useful. I honestly really love just having any sort of, like, feeling chart in your home. I love having those around the house or just having them and talking about them with kids all the time, especially when they're super young, just to kind of like allow them to have those different things that they can point to and understand and explain how they're feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, it helps give them verbiage, right? Like sometimes, you know, I found like with working with children and adolescents is like helping, like looking at what they're displaying and helping provide words for what you're seeing and asking questions around that. It's funny, like, I remember one time I was out with my best friend and her, I think at the time he was like two and a half year old, and he started freaking out in Target over something, right? And she started being like, oh my God, we're in public. And I literally just squatted down at his eye level, because you have to get at their eye level, remind them that they're also human. And I was like, hey, okay, we're feeling a little angry. Do you want to go look at the other toys? And he's like, no. I was like, okay, well, what if we say bye to this toy? let's go just look at something else. And like, I just picked him up and like moved him and like distracted him from the situation while still like acknowledging in the beginning, like, oh, you're feeling mad. It's okay to feel mad. Why don't we do something to help us? 
but just like remembering like literally that could work at any age right like if a kid's having strong emotions reminding them it's okay reminding them that this is how they're feeling and that they can do things to help themselves right so with a seven-year-old who's freaking out at Six Flags, we can acknowledge them that it's okay to feel scared, but just really honestly trying to like show them the joy and the fun and the things as well. I think the thing to also then summarize all of this with is there comes a point where you're allowed to just be like, okay, you win. Like, all right, fine. You don't have to do the thing. If your kid's like really throwing a fit, you can't regulate them, you're allowed to back down. Just wanted to pop in here really quick and share that it is a great time to get back into therapy or to start therapy for the first time. My practice therapy for women has licensed therapists in 27 states across the country, or if you're local to the Philadelphia area, we have a few offices for in-person therapy as well. I'm also so excited to share that we have officially launched Therapy for Kids, which is our sister practice, and we will serve kids ages five and up. We have specialized pediatric therapists who can't wait to meet your kids, who also can support your family with parent coaching and family therapy if you live in the Pennsylvania area. Learn more at therapyforkidscenter.com. Becca, this is making me think too, and again, I know this would vary depending on the age, but what would be an example or examples of what we would consider a destructive behavior that's being manifested due to anxiety? But something where without realizing it's anxiety, you might be like, God, my kid's a jerk or (laughs) like, why are they being so tough today? Or, you know, things like that. Middle school age and up, maybe even late elementary school. If your kid is dealing with generalized anxiety disorder, a symptom that we don't talk about is irritability. And your kid is going to be so much more irritable towards you because at the end of the day, you love them and they love you and they're around you all the time. But you're going to see a lot of irritability. But understanding like, oh, does my kid like struggle in school? Like, are they having a hard time anxiety wise with school? Do they already not want to go to school in the morning? Is that why they're being a total asshole to me? Like things like that can kind of be an indicator of anxiety as well. And yeah, I think just like a lot of like reluctance and avoidance, freaking out in sort of ways of like a tantrum that you're like, bro, you're seven. Like, why is my seven-year-old having a tantrum? Most likely it's that same like just overwhelming irritability and anxiety that can come out in that way. I think too, it's really hard because I don't want to say that like there's so many overlaps between childhood ADHD and anxiety that can go unseen. But some of the other things that can be really hard for children with anxiety is also that focus and like level of focus in class because the anxiety can be so overwhelming that it's hard for them to pay attention to what they need to be doing because they feel so off. It's like what came first, the chicken or the egg, the anxiety or the ADHD? It's so hard to tell. Well, we already know we're going to have an episode on ADHD. So for all those listening, it's coming. Becca will be back. But no, the irritability makes a lot of sense. Like even thinking about myself, right, and having like OCD, right? There are so many times that I can look back and see where I like freaked out on my parents. And I felt awful. I felt awful that I freaked out on them. And when I think about it and when I thought about it, then I'm like, why am I so upset about this? And obviously now <laughs> being where I'm at in life, right, I can look back and say, oh, like I can think of an exact example where my dad was like, oh, yeah, your registration for your car or something or inspection. I forgot what it was like laps and I'm gonna sound like a real privileged (laughs) like that my dad was telling me that and that I wasn't aware that's my own that was you know 
But I remember that moment I was, I became so irritable and so upset. And I probably seemed like such a jerk because I reacted to my dad like, why wouldn't you tell me that? Blah, blah, blah. And in reality, now when I look back, I know my anxiety went from zero to 100 being like, what if I got pulled over? How long is it going to take? Am I not going to be able to drive to work? Am I not going to be able to drive to school? This, that, like my anxiety went from zero to 100, but it came out immediately as irritability. And I think a lot of people just think you're being a jerk when really your anxiety just like skyrocketed. Yeah. Your brain goes from like one particular topic and just spirals to 15 others. Like almost like a shattered like glass, right? Like it just spider webs out at like one pinpoint. And then you're, you thought of a hundred scenarios in your head right away, which is overwhelming. And yeah, yeah it's going to cause like a little freak out, right? Like a little meltdown. And and your dad, you know, parents are just like, oh, it's just this one thing. It's not that big of a deal. What, what, why are you, why are you so worked up? Why are you freaking out? And you're like, it is a big deal to me. This goes back to like being in therapy, what you said, Becca, right? Like if you don't have the language, if you don't have an understanding of your anxiety, it's it can also feel really confusing, I think, as an individual, because then you're sitting there like, why am I getting so upset about this? Like yeah. when I when I'm not in the depths of my anxiety and I look back and I'm like, why was I so upset about this? Why did I react that way? Yeah. Well, child therapy specifically isn't just about the child talking and working through stuff. There is a lot of it that parents are involved to help develop language and awareness and skills for themselves to be just a better parent be a better human yeah i love involving parents within therapy for their kids obviously we are a pennsylvania-based practice and also philadelphia specifically which means that for us it's a little unique that kids 14 and up have full consent so if we want to talk to parents we actually kind of have to go through the kid in some ways but still like i love Obviously, having it be an open conversation with the kid as well. Like, hey, maybe we should talk to mom about this. Maybe we should talk to dad, caregiver, what have you. And then allowing them to kind of like be involved so that they can bring the practices that we talk about home. Because I'm giving these kids skills and I'm giving them all of these different, you know, techniques to use that it's sometimes just helpful to have the parent be like, oh, remember Becca said X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So Becca, and again, I know this would vary depending on the age, but how often would you involve, let's say, let's say a child gives their consent, right? We're thinking like 14 and up child gives their consent for you to talk to their parent and involve them in therapy. How often would you include a parent in therapy for those who are maybe considering therapy for their own kid? It truly depends. Like the most classic therapist response and also the truest response. But it really depends. If your kid is OCD, I'm probably using you a lot. We're probably talking about it a lot. I need data from you as to what it looks like in the home from your kid. I need you to kind of help them support in exposures for OCD. For eating disorders, same thing. We really want you involved in the care a lot of the time. But it depends really like what I assess from the kid first. Like, is this something you want to eventually be able to talk to your parents about? Okay, I'm going to help support you. Do you not want your mom to know that you have a crush on that boy okay well then we don't don't have to tell her but yeah it really does depend and know that I am coming at it with the idea of your child's privacy and safety first and thinking about them honestly first and all of this but still acknowledging that like you're probably paying because of that I will still keep you involved to a degree and help you support your kid but probably not tell you every little piece of teeth Mm -hmm. yeah no that that makes a lot of sense right you're gonna have a lot more involvement depending on the severity of what's going on but you're also going to have a lot more involvement depending on the age right if you're seeing a six-year-old parents going to be pretty much in every single session versus like a 16 year old you might talk to the parents once a month again totally depends on what's going on so i i say that to point out 
to any parents listening and who are thinking about therapy for their own child, right, to know that it's going to depend on the what's going on, but a lot of it's going to be depending on their age. So something to think about if you're considering therapy for your kids and if you live in Pennsylvania. With that, I know we're getting towards the end here. So Becca, you obviously gave some really great resources earlier while we've been talking, but my last question for you is I'm really curious, how does one talk to their kid then about the idea of going to talk to somebody like a therapist specifically for their anxiety? Yeah, for sure. I think knowing that resistance from your kid is going to be normal because they're already anxious about new things and new scenarios. So they're going to be anxious and nervous to kind of try these things. And like, honestly, just coming at it from the idea of like, let's just give it a try. I think it's really important that you see people who specialize in children and adolescents who come at it from an aspect of wanting to listen to the kid rather than try to parent. And I think you can really get those vibes, honestly, when you see the therapist themselves. But yeah, really kind of just having them go the first time. And like those of us who work in this field, understand those resisting kids and know how to talk to them and relate to them. My favorite kind of client is the 14-year-old that's like, I don't want to be here. And I'm like, okay. But (laughs) we know how to talk to them and we know how to take it from there. But just really being encouraging and open about like, we're going to go talk to somebody who's going to help you kind of with some of these feelings and help you feel better, essentially. In the same way that you'd be like, we're going to go get your flu shot. Yeah, I love that. Becca, thank you so much for coming on today. As always, it's a joy. Today was a great episode. I feel like it was really insightful, really helpful. So Becca, thank you for coming on. We really appreciate it. Yes, thank you so much, Becca, for being here with us today. Thank you, guys. So for those of you who liked today's episode, found it helpful, leave us a review, subscribe. We always appreciate a five star. And we will see you all next time. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Therapy for Women podcast. To suggest a topic, submit a question, or find a qualified therapist, visit therapyforwomencenter.com.